Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores, and with us today, we have Charles Fawcett. Hello. Hello. Hi, Sam. How are you? Very good. Very good. Uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do? Uh, yes, yeah, Charles Fawcett. Um, I'm based up at Thirsk in North Yorkshire. Um, I'm in the old cinema right now, which is the showroom uh, in North Yorkshire for Twisted Automotive. Uh, Twisted is a company that... I've um, uh, uh, I've had for twenty two years now. Actually, half my life. Wow. I've I've been uh, I've been Mister Twisted, um, for better or for worse, almost. Um, Twisted started up here in Thirsk. We're a Land Rover, initially a Land Rover parts business. So we developed a number of tuning products for the Land Rover Defender mainly, some of the old Range Rovers and Discoveries as well. But more recently, the last sort of ten or twelve years, it's been all about building Defender. Uh, and trying where possible to make them the best they can be. So we ship vehicles all over the world um, for all sorts of different people uh, from all walks of life. And Defender is a like a common common conversation. It's a it's yeah. a it's a it's a leveler which um, uh, allows us to speak to all sorts of people about it. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those cars that like a bit like a you know like a classic mini Defender's one of them like it. All sorts of people are interested in them. You could have an insane garage or you could have one Defender. Like that that could be the thing. Um, so let's go back a bit. Before, did, were you working in cars before all of that? Have you been a car nerd and a Defender nerd forever? Yeah, my, um, my family, uh, family business was motor trade. Uh, my mm-hmm. dad um, bought and sold vehicles um, all my life. I remember um, coming home from school one day, I think I was about eight years old, and there was a little Suzuki 55 wide pickup in the drive, and 
he said um, in his broad Yorkshire twang, by the time I've had my tea, lad, you want to be driving that? And um, <laughs> he basically chucked me in the seat um, and uh, went and had his tea. And from that day on, anything he came home in, I, I was very fortunate. We grew up, we, we rented a farmhouse uh, on a working farm. And uh, from the farmyard, there's a track up the side of the field. Um, it was maybe only half a mile long. But there's an old, old cinder track and I must have pestered him so much. Every single vehicle he came home in, it was, uh, Dad, can I set that up the track? Can I, can I go over? And, and, at, and at 11, 12-year-old, it was Saab turbos and Renault 5 turbos and anything interesting. He didn't yeah. buy and sell normal vehicles. It was always something different. Um, so I was really fortunate to, to grow up with cars, around cars, um, learn a lot about them. We had a little paint shop at home. We had a little workshop and... Um, uh, I, I came across some really interesting vehicles, but I guess my passion for Land Rover came a little later. I think I was 11 when I got my first Land Rover. I bought a Series 3 109 from um, panel panel motor auctions. My father would never give me any money, but he'd help me along with, okay, with yeah. uh, helping me buy and sell things. And I think the first car was a Renault 4 that was 30 quid and I ragged it around the field for years, and I remember the cows eating some wiring under the dash. And anyway, we sold it for profits a few years later, and then it was a mini pickup, then it was a Suzuki Jeep, and it went on. And I got this uh, Series Three Land Rover from Panel Auctions. Um, Panel was renowned then; they used to have a banger sale on a Tuesday night, and uh, I think I gave one hundred and eleven pound for this Series Three. It was missing and coughing and spluttering, and we took it home and. Um, I sort of stood and watched while Dad made it work again. And uh, that was my field car for a while. And a, a little later, um, my father started an off-road driving business, so driver tuition in Land Rovers. Yeah. Uh, I was rubbish at school. I had absolutely no commitment to school at all. Um, so at, at 17, I was, I was given the option of, I think they said 40 hours a week of homework or leave. <laughs> and there was absolutely there was no way I was doing the homework. So <coughs> I had a Diet Two Four track at that time. It was turquoise uh, with some big BF Goodrich tires on it, and I used to howl around town in it uh, when I was supposed to be in lessons. Um, so I so I left, and I think I left on the Friday, and about an hour later, started work for my dad, just literally doing anything: uh, polishing cars, dropping cars off, picking them up, moving trailers around. A um, little bit of paintwork here and there, all sorts of stuff, typical motor trade. Mm. But the off-road driving business, uh, we used Land Rovers. At that time, we had some uh, Camel Trophy 110s that had been used in the Tanzania-Burundi rally. Um, I wish I still had them. We uh, yeah. we used them as tuition vehicles for quite a lot of years. And uh, I sort of slipped into into looking after this off-road business while he did other things. And so I just I was just around Land Rovers every day, um, off road, on road, seeing how fast I could drive them, seeing what tyres made a difference, and um, eventually we we were presented with an opportunity with some tuning products for for these vehicles, and we tried them out, we used them, we did a bit of competing with them, and these things just absolutely blew my mind. The way you could make a a Defender that previously had I don't know 111 horsepower or something. And you used to have to pedal like mad to make this thing, you know, get somewhere in a decent yeah. time. Suddenly you could plug something in or, 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 or um, plumb something in. And this thing had 150 horsepower or something. 
and it was like night and day. So that clearly got me very excited. And uh, uh, all I wanted to do was make them go faster. And that really was the start of Twisted. Um, so just always been around them, always used them, always enjoyed them. I've been broken down at the side of the road many times. I've nearly crashed them. I've nearly been on my side in them. I've done all sorts of daft things with them. But they're just, a, I think probably the first thing I said is they're a leveler. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have or where you're from. If there's a if there's a defender around, it quite often becomes the conversation point. Mm. And I guess twisted is just an extension of that. The um, the vehicle is uh, it's so endearing uh, at yeah. any level. So a bit of a strange background, but it led me to this point. Yeah, when you were doing all the like off road tours and stuff. Were they like pretty good and didn't need much maintenance and whatever, or were you constantly like fixing stuff and sort of putting them back on the road? Yeah, I, I, the camel vehicles we 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 dragged their life out as long as we could, um, but in reality they were unreliable from day one. Um, the uh, they were two hundred TDIs from ninety one, so they had rear drum brakes and. Um, I don't think there was a day where all of the brakes worked or the handbrake or, you know, there was always something. But later on, I I opted to buy new vehicles and we started with 300 TDIs. And um, in fact, the first new one we bought, uh, we were all absolutely over the moon at having bought this Rioja Red, oh no, Portofino Red, uh, 300 TDI 90 hardtop. Um I think it was 16,242 quid or something new then plus that. And I had a bit of a fallout with my father and had gone off in this thing. It had only done 200 miles and I'd gone off to take my girlfriend out or something at the time. And uh, he, he, he played war with me for taking it. So I took it back. I didn't want to talk to him. So I took the keys behind the visor and left. Sadly, it wasn't there the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody must have seen me put the keys behind the visor and run off. Um, so it had disappeared. He rang me the next morning. Where's my Land Rover? Anyway, um, that was the first one we got. It lasted two weeks. Um, but then we, we, we bought a couple of new ones every couple of years for the off-road business. And they got worked really hard. So they'd be in mud three or four days a week. They were um, you know, used quite hard between sites and... Uh, you know, all, all sorts of drivers from all walks of life behind the wheel, mm. um, with and without experience and very often in seriously muddy conditions. And you'd get about six months of reliable time out of them. And the next six months, you'd change the brake pads probably once a fortnight and a few bearings here and there and a few ball joints, drop out and ball joint, things like that. But in the second year, you would be changing brake pads almost every day. Um, Why? The, that just the mud is like a grinding paste. And okay. unfortunately, once the first set of pads caught the metal, um, the, the discs are scored and you end up literally just wearing the next ones out. Yeah. But the, the main reason was they never dried out. So they're in mud. Okay. Um, in fact, a farmer friend of mine had a theory. He had a quad bike and he'd had it years and he'd never, ever washed it. It had <laughs> never had a bearing. It had never had any brakes in it. He said it's just ultra reliable. And his theory was... <coughs> Once the thing's cased in mud, water doesn't get in anymore. Right. And, the, the, you know, the heat of the thing moving it dries it out and uh, it's ultimately reliable. But we would be driving through mud all day, pressure wash the hell out of them at night. They'd sit cold overnight, wet, and then be back in the mud the next day. Yeah. So things would just fall apart. And after two years, you'd go and part exchange these things with 
8,000 miles on them. You know, they sound like the perfect part X. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 8,000 miles, one owner from you, and absolutely knackered. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we had to swap dealers quite regularly. Yeah, I was about to say, they see you coming and be like, no, 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 no. Yeah, in the event, in the end, we didn't, uh, we didn't get to part X. <laughs> <coughs> but they're just, <clears throat> I don't know, this, there is just something about Defender. It's, um, it's a way of life, really. Hmm. So you're you're doing this, and then you're buying and selling cars. Yeah, that then... was buying, always buying and selling. I I didn't do much of that. I'm not really a I'm not really a motor trade sort. I don't I don't like the hard sell. Mm. I like to produce something that will sell itself that people want, and that's probably an, another reason for Twisted. Um, I just decided that if if I made it good enough, I didn't need to sell it. It would, it would in principle sell itself, you know. So um, for, for a lot of years, I was almost the reverse of of of, of, of sales technique, you know. Um, but fundamentally, if you do if you do it right and you get the right person sat in it, you don't really need to do a lot of selling. Yeah, um, they tell their mates about it. Yeah, yeah, that's the theory. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so how did the how did the, well one the name twisted twisted um, come about? Well, everyone would say, "What you're doing? What you're making Land Rovers go faster?" You know, it's a bit twisted. It didn't really make a lot of sense. Um, okay. <laughs> that's one of the stories, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Not a lot of logic in it, really. And then, so you started twisted, and you're. You say you originally were putting parts on, yeah, cars. We in my um, well, initially it was half of my desk. So in the off-road centre, I had a desk in the in the porter cabin. I remember moving the office. I was based at the garage where Dad used to sell his vehicles from, but I had a little office there, and I used to run the off-road business from there and journey to the site. Uh, and eventually I said, look, Dad, if we buy a porter cap and put it on the site, I don't need to travel back and forwards. And um, that was in probably 99, I think, 1999. I spent 2,600 quid on a porter cabin, a little office in one end uh, and, a, and a little meeting space. And at that point, Twisted took up half my desk. The other half was the off-road business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I needed a bit more space, so I took all the Twisted stuff home. And in reality, what I was doing then was I was having – pipes made and exhausts made and intercoolers made and um, um, I had these these little chip boxes that we used to import from Holland and um, I just created a range of tuning products for Land Rover um, and we were mainly a mail order business so yeah. we would sell a lot of parts um, from the Land Rover magazines uh, it was too early for websites at that stage albeit I think we probably got one in maybe 2000, 2001 or something um, but it was just selling of just selling parts that we'd had developed, and every time they just worked. And as you said, you know, Bob would tell his friend George, and George would ring up, "Can I have some of these? And can I make mine go a bit better than Bob's?" And and it just becomes <laughs> this sort of journey. And then you meet a customer that sort of says, "Look, you know, I want these bits, but I I can't fit them. My local garage won't have a clue what they're doing. Can you fit them for me?" So maybe I'd fit them on the drive, or maybe I'd get you know the local garage to put them on for him, and and while he's there, he's saying, look, actually, the suspension's a bit, you know, it's a bit choppy. Or, or um, what tyre would you fit? And it just evolves 
mainly through customer um, interaction. They, they, you know, they challenge you almost. And I was never one to say no. So, you know, a few years down the line, we've we've gone from it being on half of my desk. Then it was in my Wendy house in the garden at my little rented cottage, and then it took up the half of my lounge. And then then I moved house, and it was in my double garage. Um, I used to have the courier come every day actually to my house. I lived in a in a little cul-de-sac and this van would turn up every day and every day I was late packing parts. I, <laughs> I got to know the delivery drivers so well because they'd stand there 20 minutes waiting for me. Um, but it was all the parts were getting shipped out. Yeah. And we used to send them all over, literally all over the world. Um, we supplied a lot of the bigger um, Land Rover parts businesses as well for quite a long time. Um, and in essence, what we did was we took a series of parts we packaged them up. We gave them a name um, and an identity. Um, so rather than somebody having to ring up saying, you know, what can you do with my Land Rover? They might say, hey, I've seen that you do a Tornado exhaust or you do a mm. this or a that. And yeah. I felt if you gave it a name, it gave it an identity. It was a much easier thing to talk about. So it was all mail order. And, and, and as I say, we transitioned into fitting parts um, 2000 and six i built the first vehicle i say built the first full sort of package modification okay uh i did on the drive at home um and uh i think 2007 i parted ways with my father he carried on doing the off-road business and i i wanted to be purely twisted Mm. um got a little unit on the industrial estate in thursk uh a really decent old chap uh roger hall uh, allowed me to take this industrial unit without a lease. He, he kind of dropped it on the desk and said, if you want to sign it, it's there, but, you know. So um, <laughs> nice. just really relaxed. And my, my bank manager lent me some money unsecured. And um, uh, I was then on my own. And I kind of, I was in a position where it had to, it had to perform as a business. Yeah. And um, eventually I got to, there was a chap called Dave, first of all, came to work with me doing a lot of fitting. And then a real old mate of mine, Gary, who actually is still with us now, um, albeit he nicked off a couple of times to work elsewhere and came back. Um, Gary joined us. And I think maybe a year and a half in, we eventually had enough money to buy a ramp. And uh, it just sort of evolved, really. And I guess, I guess the reason I'm most proud of it is because it wasn't, there wasn't some great big pot of cash at the beginning. There was no... Yeah you know a golden checkbook it was it had to do its job it had to make money to be able to evolve and grow and uh and it's always done that so it's it's my baby really you know mm. half my life i've i've had this this little business so. yeah that's cool and that's 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 exactly the opposite of what you see on you see it on like dragon's den and stuff like that where people come in and they go i've already spent a million pounds and we don't have a product and we've done nothing and they're like okay cool <laughs> i um i think i actually wrote to peter what's he called off dragon's den i wrote to him once peter and, jones uh, peter jones yeah that's him i did write to him but he uh, didn't reply <laughs> <laughs> he probably thought another another nut job <laughs> so you're you're doing all the doing these packages and they were you sort of aiming to to make create like a certain sort of vehicle at the end of it like angled towards a certain purpose or was it just here's a bunch of stuff to beef up your car everywhere i looked at the time it was all about off-roading so people would buy a land rover um 
and they in in their mind it it was the hobby vehicle that might also transport the kids or might also tow a trailer or mm. or might purely be for the weekends and they were using this vehicle once a month once every other month to go off-roading somewhere at a pay and play site or green laning or something so they were giving it great big suspension lifts big snotty tires um side exit exhausts you know big bumpers at the front and the back and winches and roof bars and all mm. these things but while driving on the road this thing was awful you know and, and nobody would admit it but a vehicle set up for off-road is not a nice road vehicle um so what i didn't see in the land rover market at all was was people um making them more comfortable making them a bit quicker making them a bit quieter making them a bit smoother this just wasn't happening so that that was the gap that i felt we could slot into mm. so we started with performance um performance clearly covers many things um but we spent a lot of time on suspension a lot of time on brakes a lot of time on soundproofing and different types of materials um and then moved into all the, the other things you see now um but the the reality was it was the defender was either a workhorse or it was an off-roader there was no, nothing in between so i wanted twisted to stand out as doing something different yeah um the reality is now everywhere you look there are people making defender better for the road you know but um there certainly wasn't back then yeah it was quite yeah, different yeah, yeah and how is like when you're talk me through the process of what you well one like what what's the sort of development that's gone into these things but if you're going to build a car for someone what what options have we got? What what is the car like now almost versus fifteen years ago, ten years ago? What's the change? That was about five questions in one, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the premise is similar, but I guess the customer's appetite has perhaps changed. Mm. Um product offering is is different now. But in reality, if I went back to that first one I put together on the drive, it was for a farmer. He lives an hour away. I met him at a Land Rover show. He polishes his tractors. He powder coats the rims every year. He stores them all inside. He cleans them after he's used them. And his Land Rovers are the same. Um, he ended up with a huge diesel Bowser. I think he could tow 2,000 litres of diesel around to fuel his tractors. And the Bowser was painted to match the Land Rover, and it had the same wheels on it. And he just it's a workhorse, it's therefore accepted. It doesn't matter, as I say, who you are or, or where you're from, if you turn up somewhere in a Defender, you're cool, you're fine, or you're not noticed, it's one or the other. Um, so he, he he wanted this thing to be super luxury inside. Um, he's a farmer that only occasionally wears wellies. He likes to get out of his Land Rover, get in his tractor, his tractor's clean, his Land Rover's clean, and he was prepared to spend a lot of money doing it. Um, and he's probably had five or six vehicles from us since. He's mm. still a customer now. He's a great friend of the business. Um, and I now can't remember what the question was. <laughs> sort of basically, what are those builds? How, is it, so, how have they changed? So, so the premise hasn't really altered. Um, as I say, customer appetite has. So we might now put a, 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 a 500 horsepower LTV8 in there with an eight-speed auto and um, long-range tanks and roll bars and racks and what have you. And if, if back then it was a hundred hours of labor to put a car together, now it might be six or 800 or a thousand. Um, 
There's one of our guys, Johnny. He's been working purely on two vehicles for one customer for the last 15 months. <laughs> okay. And, you know, every day of the week. So the workshop in Thirsk here where we build everything, um, we've got 11 guys, 10 ramps, um, 11 techs, 11 engineers. Um, there's obviously a support structure around them, but these guys have their own ramp, their own space, and they will start a vehicle and they will finish a vehicle. So they will strip the vehicle. They'll take everything out of it we don't want, throw that away, bring in everything we do want. They'll test fit everything. They'll build it back up. Very often it's down to the ground, everything on the floor, uh, nuts and bolts. Right. Um, chassis might be galvanized or powder coated um, or, or, or under sealed. Um, bushings, bearings, brakes, suspension, shafts, CVs, flanges, diffs, um, axle casings are coated, body goes off to be painted, um, interior disappears off to be trimmed, uh, the different engine comes along, the different gearbox comes along, and all the ancillaries and bits and bats to make that all work, gradually gets built back up. They can be on it for hundreds and thousands of hours at times. And I, I think the commitment they show and the, the, the approach they take is they don't want production line because production line they don't feel any reward from yeah <coughs> production line is arguably more efficient you know yeah. one man that's good at interiors another man's good at wiring another man's good at mechanical yeah. but the reality is they want to build a car from start to finish and be able to put their name on it um they all have their own little um uh, name badges that they hide on the vehicle they don't nice. even tell us where they put them um so sometimes the customer won't even see that um, very often the branded components that we make, the branding is hidden. So a customer might grab his door handle. He can feel the branding, but no matter where you put your head, you can't see it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. he knows it's there. Nobody else does. The brand appears in subtle places, but we're building one, for example, just now for a customer. Um, and it, it specifically, he wants no branding. So we've had to, uh, regrind wheels, change steering guards, change door handles, change dial packs, um, wheel nuts. Our wheel nuts are branded on the shank. He doesn't, you know, it, it can't be seen. And it's not because it's not because he doesn't like the brand. He wouldn't have come to us if he didn't like it. He just doesn't want anyone to know that's what he's got. Yeah. So it, it, it's really, it's a really personal thing that we're doing. But it's not necessarily always about these. 500,000 hour builds. Um, you know, I've just had a couple come in the showroom just now visiting on holiday from Birmingham and they just want advice on what seat to fit and what position to put it in because he's tall, she's a little bit mm. shorter. And it, 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 we've li lived and breathed these vehicles for so long. Um, I'm not saying we are the absolute experts at all, um, but we, we know our way around them. Yeah. And we know what works and what doesn't. And I think going back to the beginning, where I felt we could fit was rather than going and buying an intercooler from this man, an exhaust from that man, a suspension system from that man, and a steering wheel from that man, I wanted to create one place that had actually tested all these things, that know what works and know mm. what doesn't work. Because you, you know only too well, if you're modifying a vehicle, it's all too easy to pick the wrong product to go along with another one. So these things yeah. all want to be t tested and used and and sampled and and that that is what we do 
we only build Defender and have done now for a lot of years. All the techs have come pretty much from Land Rover, pretty much. A couple of guys, one guy from Bentley, one guy from Nissan at the minute. Um, but they're all of the same mind. One of our longest standing uh, techs, Nick, he actually came from a window company. He was making wooden windows and he fancied okay. a change. And he'd, be, he'd been there for 22 years or 23 years or something. And he fancied a change. And his eye for detail is incredible. He sees things that other people don't see. Um, he That's... didn't, in fact, he, it, it was probably a wind up, but he failed a PDI one day for a guy because the front uh, number plate was two mil lower on the left than the right. <laughs> it was possibly a wind up, but he just like sees that. things people don't <laughs> see. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the other must... guy did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That must be quite interesting from um, bringing in people from different industries. I don't know whether you've had much of it. Like someone, like I said, someone who's working on Windows or something, their, their look, like the way they're going to look at stuff is going to be different from someone that has worked at, you know, JLR on XYZ. They've, they're sort of formed into a certain process throughout their life. We all look at stuff differently. Um, have you found that that's sort of like added to the end product by having a, a mix of people? We're in rural North Yorkshire. <laughs> so there's not there's not this there's not a great pool of automotive okay, yeah, yeah. bods, but nor does that necessarily work. I think there are two roles in the business that we've never successfully filled for long periods. One is the management of the parts, the other is the management of the workforce. We've had so many people come through those roles from automotive background. And they just do not get it. If you try to put a time in motion study in place here, you know, it just, none of it makes sense. But the, the way that these guys build these vehicles, you can't, you can't mechanize it. You can't standardize it. It's got to be personal mm. and they do it their way and it works. It creates at times little issues. You know, one guy might route a wire that way. Another guy yeah. might route it that way. But they do it for a reason. And we've kind of just got to let the guys have free reign to be the best they can be. If we're, you know, if we've got a, a workshop manager cracking the whip behind them, it just, it just doesn't work. Um, it's a very, very personal thing. And we can spend hours, you know, I'll use Johnny as the example. Again, I always use Johnny. He's right in the middle of the workshop. He's been with us a long time. But Johnny will spend hours each week talking to his customers. And you can't, you can't charge for that. You can't, you know, it's just part of what he does. Yeah. Um, and it might be that they've decided they want to put this widget that way around or they want to put it that way up or they want to put a little something there. And it can't really follow a process. It can't really be standardized because what we do is really personal. Yeah. So going back to your question, it's more about the right mentality the way that you do the work, the way that you fit something is easily trained, but the mentality can't be trained. Yeah. You've kind of you've kind of got to be a little bit OCD. Yeah. And actually, I, I sometimes wish we could have a film crew in the workshop because <laughs> the funniest of things happen mainly based around how far on the scale somebody is, but yeah. being on that scale <laughs> is is what makes them have that attention to detail. Yeah. Um, I'm probably off the scale. <laughs> I, I think... 
certain industries and certain jobs, it's massively beneficial. I, I'm like that around certain stuff and it annoys the hell out of some people. Like, you know, you're doing something yeah. and you're like, look, come on, like, that's just not quite right. You're like, look, if, if you just turned it two degrees to the left, it would line up, <laughs> it would be great. And they're like, why does it matter? And like, because I can see it from across the room. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but nobody else can. <laughs> and yeah. other people can't. And then you're like, hang on a minute, is is there much point in this? But I think those sorts of attention to detail is massively appreciated. You can't necessarily, you won't, a lot of people won't necessarily appreciate the one thing, mm. but they will appreciate the sum of that level across a bigger project. Yeah. And, an example I use quite often in, I don't know, in the, mid 2010 or 11 or 12 or something Land Rover on new def- on, on Defender when they were producing them at that stage they stopped fitting a wing washer I don't know what the part's called but we call it a wing washer at the bottom of the front wings there used to be a three mil washer which um leveled the front wings um and if you look at Defender it's it's the easiest thing in the world to draw because the the, the the um headlight panels uh, are 50 percent of the size of the grill and it's all it's all boxy and um i noticed one day that these wings were now drooping at the bottom and it wasn't square anymore so we had to investigate and sure enough land rover had saved themselves 40p a vehicle by not fitting these wing washers <laughs> um and at that time it was probably a three-hour job to fit, fit these wing washers anyway we got these particular wing washers made with a little slit in them so you could slide them in but all of our vehicles the wings are straightened it's the silliest of things but if that's not done, when you look at it, it's that two degrees out yeah. that you're talking about. It's just not quite right. And I'm not saying that we always get it right because we don't. We're people. We're working with a flawed product. Yeah. Defender is in every sense flawed. The lads were towards the end of production. Uh, I, I got to do a couple of tours of the production line. And I remember the guy that was um, straightening the doors up. He was given two minutes a door. So four minutes, he had a rubber mallet, um, a, a Torx with a with a, a ratchet on the back of it, and, and a knee pad. And he was, I'd have hold of the door, his knee was in the middle of it, then he'd bang it with a mallet and slam it five or six times, and he could obviously hear when it was slamming correctly. Yeah. And then he'd nip it up, run around the other side, do the other one. Our lads, you know, they can spend eight hours lining a door up. But that guy could only line his door up right if the other two dudes further down the line had fit the bulkhead in the same place. Yeah. And it, if you look at standard Defender when they come off the line, they are never the same. They are entirely different every time. And it all starts with the bulkhead, then the rear tub. And if those are millimetres out, by the time you get to the other end of the vehicle, you, you've got you've got quarter of an inch of a problem. It is a flawed product, and we, we are still working with the orig- original architecture. You know, we... We're using the original chassis. We're using using the original panels. I'd dearly love to do a, a twisted version that didn't have all these flaws, but it's those flaws that make it endearing. Um, so we iron out as many as possible. We get rid of m- as many of these quirks as we possibly can. But the reality is it's still a Defender. Yeah. And I do think we need to keep, just we just need to keep a little bit of that. Um, I call these things Defenderisms. Um I don't really know where the word came from, but it came out it came out a few few years back, and it needs to have some defenderisms. Otherwise, it might as well just be any other car. 
Yeah. Um, there's got to be a click from the indicators. There's got to be a clunk here, and handbrake's got to click when you put it on, and it's um, it's, it's it's kind of what we love, really. Yeah. Have there been any like? Because I feel like you hear stories. I, I, I've heard the odd story about a defender and, you know, and it's got a spanner still in the door that has been delivered. And I don't know whether that's yeah. actually happened, but like, have there been All some the funny stuff you've come across that's just like pretty All the time. Under the bonnet of one a few years back, popped the bonnet, did a bit of stuff and had a look. And in the gutter at the back behind the bonnet, there's a little, little, little water channel. Um, it was like a 10 inch screwdriver with a red <laughs> handle on it. And he's obviously just left it there and shut the bonnet. <laughs> We had one come through um, once and it had gone through Land Rover's PDI and then the dealer's PDI and the whole run of um, bolts along the rear cross member that hold the tub to the cross member, they were completely missing. It wasn't oh, a single wow. bolt in a single hole. Um, but when you're stripping them down, yeah, you'd, you'd lift the carpet out, take the seat out and there'd be a bolt there and you kind of stick your head like this and go, have a look up. Oh yeah, it came from there. You know, and there'd either be a bolt in it, and it, it they'd dropped it, lost it, and put another one in. Oh, there was a hole. Um, but no, they, they were they were terribly, really badly built. We bought uh, quite a lot at the end of production, and um, we've still got quite a lot of them. But no two are the same. You look down the left hand side of one, and there'll be this much tire showing. You go to the other side, and there'll be this much tire showing. And you know, the, one of them there'll be a gap next to the seat box where you could drop a mobile phone through the other one the gap's not there so they just they just vary the, the variables in trying to rework these things are huge does that make that's presumably when the staff come into their own because if you're just trying to design a sort of repeatable product if the base is not the same you know it's it a bit out each time that must I, cause a lot i, I learned I learned this quite early on. I, I came across an intercooler manufacturer and um, he was like you and I, a absolute you know, attention to detail, second to none. He built this intercooler. I tested it. I loved it. And then he made a jig and he showed me the jig and it was, the jig was a work of art. Mm. And this is where he would jig his intercoolers for us from. So we'd have this one, we tested it, we loved it, uh, fitted it on my vehicle. And then um, I ordered 10 from him. Now, I think the first one I shipped to Germany and this guy rang up, uh, Charles, you know, it doesn't fit. <laughs> like, I've seen the jig, I've tested it, it fits. No, 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 no. And we, we quickly learned that you couldn't have round holes on things. Okay. You know, you had to, you had to have uh, elongated holes yeah. because the, the thing you're mounting to varies so dramatically. And, and you're absolutely right. The guys in the workshop, they are aware of all these things. And they just deal with it just as it happens. It's it's fine. The, the, rarely now do we come across something new. But the average guy uh, who is used to more of a production line just doesn't understand it at all. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if if I was going to come to you and order a car, yeah. What's the process? How does this work? We like to get to know the the buyer we'd like to know how they plan to use it what they want to do with it um if 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 they come in and say look i'm I'm thinking about buying a new porsche kn but i notice yours are a similar amount of money you know can i see yours the the best thing he can do is buy a porsche kn um (laughs) if he wants if he wants a toy if he wants a cool vehicle if he wants something that um is completely understated uh totally personal that he will fall in and out of love with daily, you know, by a defender. You, 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 you ultimately adore them, but they're, they, 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 they drive you potty sometimes. Mm. Um, you know, I, I drive a German four before and, um, I, 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 you know, I, I drive quickly everywhere and it does great MPG and I never really have to think about what I'm doing. It just yeah. goes wherever I point it. But if I'm going for a special evening or to a special event or going out with the kids for a bit of fun, I go in a Defender because that's just – the things make you smile. It's one of the few vehicles in London where people actually flash you out of the junction. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, or they stop for a chat. Uh, um, often well, – in fact, I, I, I was in <laughs> – I was in London a few years back and I pulled up a, a, a set of traffic lights in the center of town and I, I was on my phone. Shouldn't have been very naughty. I was on my phone. Uh, Met police pulled up next to me. Drop, <laughs> drop my phone. <laughs> Literally drop my phone. This policeman that looks at me and he goes like that, puts your window down. Go on, I'm going to get trouble here. Put my window down. And he goes, has he got a V8 in it? <laughs> and all I wanted to do was talk about the Defender. And, and that's pretty standard. Go back to the, that farmer customer I told you about. He said if he wants to go out and be incognito, he goes in the Bentley. If he wants to go out and talk to people, he goes in the Defender. He said you fill up with fuel, they want to talk to you. You stop at the shops, they want to talk to you. It's, it's great to understand the person, what they're going to do with it, how they want to use it. We can then kind of start to tailor the thing. Mm. There's no point setting up to do that if they want to do that with it. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking, um, a lot of time getting to know the people, a lot of time understanding how they're going to use it, and then we'll start to recommend things. And there's a, this kind of a, a standard twisted build. There's a way we do the core products. Um, that's our basis for everything, and whether it ends up being electric, V8, little petrol, uh, or even keep, keeping the old diesel – this, this kind of a core underpinning. We, if we get those things right, the car's going to be right. Um, from the ground to the steering wheel, from the ground to the pedals, there are so many moving things in Defender and so many things that can have been talked up differently or can have a little bit of wear on them. There's a way of driving one. We try to keep that analog experience, but iron out all those little things on the way up. So that when you actually get all of the steering wheel, yeah, it actually feels like it's going to go where you <laughs> want connected. it to go. And when you touch a brake pedal, it actually tells you it's going to stop. Um, the standard one doesn't necessarily do that. Um, it's just a thousand little things that transform this into something that you can really enjoy on that 
day out. Mm. Um, and if you chose to drive one every day, and we have customers that do, it's absolutely fine. You've just got to be a little, a little eccentric, perhaps, yeah. to drive one every day because there are so many better cars. <laughs> but it's it's like having a you know an MGB or an E Type or an Aston. It it's not an everyday. Yeah. And I I I I guess these days we try not. I suppose because it's gone out of production, it's not it's not available anymore for every day. So people think of them less and less as every days. Yeah, yeah, Go back yeah. six six or eight years, people would say, I was going to get a Disco 4, I was going to get a Land Cruiser, but I think I'm going to get a Defender 110U. I can put it through the business, I can get my VAT back, get me, you know, right down on my corp tax, do a few mods and it's cool. Um, so they would kind of quantify it that way. Yeah. But it, it, it's now a classic and uh, and I think it's getting treated that way. Uh, people more and more are buying them because they really want one. They want it to be the best it can be, and there's not much in between. So it's it's, it's it, they end up they end up coming to twisted. Yeah, that makes sense. From um, if you'd said to me I don't know, five years ago when you could still buy a Defender, I don't could you still buy a Defender? When 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 was the last? January 16. Okay. So in 2015, you're like, you want a 4x4, etc. And I'd look at all the options that they go, you could have a Defender. Personally, I'd be like, yeah, okay. But like, I I don't understand. (laughs) That does not look like a car that was built this year. If you compare it to all the other cars, you're like, it's missing all the tech, the ergonomics are crap, all this sort of stuff. So you're like, nah, it doesn't make any sense. And it's the same with, I would say like, nearly new certain supercars over over time they've come out and they've not made sense they don't they're a bit crap maybe it's like the lamborghini i don't know whatever and it's not that great as a car but if you go 10 years down the line everyone goes okay it's not a new car anymore so you don't treat it like a new car you don't compare it to the other new cars it's it's actually just something a bit interesting and if it's got quirks that can be part of the character whereas if it's brand new with a warranty it has to it kind of has to work and do all the stuff um and i think I presu- this that, is transition thing. time for that product for the defender is in transition it's you know we we said it was an instant classic the, the, the day they stopped building it um prices soared you know they they doubled and tripled in value at times it's still in people's memory so it's still quite sensitive mm. you know it's still quite close to being when Land Rover brought the new Defender out, that was a great milestone for us because it's it's clear that that's the modern Defender, um, and this this old classic thing was, you know, clearly not production anymore. Um, but it's still in people's minds; it's still fairly fresh. But the further away from production we get, the more classic it becomes. And um, I think while they were in production, you had to be a certain sort to want to drive one every day. Clearly, lots were used for utility companies, and you know, yeah. they were workhorses. I saw one today on on the side of the motorway. It was dragging a uh, um, um, it was a tree surgeon, you know, and he had a yeah. load of um, chipper on back the back or whatever on the back, chipper on the back or something. Yeah, um, so the people are still using them for work, but um, it, it's becoming quite different. They're not uh, they're not thought of now how they were, and I think in another five years it'll be a super classic, but they are and always have been something that they put a smile on your face when you drive them. 
you look at all the classics, none of them make sense, really. If we if we if if we're going to box it off as a car, you know, we would all drive the same thing, wouldn't we? Yeah. Because it just gets you from A to B, and it, you know, you you base it on economy and comfort and and refinement or something. Yeah. Defender classic car, they don't fit in that box at all. Um, so you've got to be on a scale somewhere to um, want to be in them regularly. But I think the lifestyle that surrounds Defender. Um, makes it a pleasure mm. how do it, something that i because i i'm not i'm not in the sort of def, defender sort of space like i've not been a you know massive fan i've sort of appreciated it from afar for over the years um but when the when the new defender came out uh, there's sort of the stuff i was you sort of hurt here heard here everyone was saying um was you know you get a lot of people being like oh it's now too expensive and you know uh, blah, 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 blah. And then, they, I, you know, you'd hear the sort of counterpoint of going, well, who's buying it? Mm. And there was always a lot of, I feel like there was a lot of people that were moaning about the fact that it's changed who weren't necessarily going and buying new ones. Do you, was that true in your experience or not so much? JLR had a challenge and their challenge was to recreate something that had been in people's hearts um, for 60 years while defender itself didn't come around till sort of 1990 that shape has been mm. with us since 48 um, to recreate that was always going to be a huge challenge what they've created is a brilliant new car I think if their marketing and PR machine had not tried to sell it as being a uh, a natural progression, if if they'd not added in a few Defender quirks, if they'd just said, look, we've created a new car, it's the bomb, I think it would have been easier to accept. Mm. I think if they'd not called it Defender, if they'd called it Defender 2, it would okay, probably yeah. have helped, but there is this huge aftermarket for classic Defender. And a lot of these people, no matter what you said to them, you, you, you know, they would not drive a Toyota Land Cruiser. It yeah. had to be a Land Rover. It's got to be a Land Rover, you know, um, they wouldn't drive anything other than what they have. And because they are so, um, involved in that, when somebody says this is the new version, they are just going to hate it. Um, give it time. They'll get used to this new one and it'll, it'll be fine. But um, the reality is JLR weren't aiming at those people. JLR no. were aiming at a completely new audience and, and using the history of the uh, Defender to um, give it some legs. But what they've made is a brilliant new vehicle. Uh, and at some point, I think it's really I'll good. Buy, I'll buy one at some point, and I'll use it for towing, and it'll be a great truck. I wouldn't have wanted to be them at that stage, trying to replace <laughs> no. that that product at all. No, Big task, so. and I, I think ah. I think they've done well. I think they've done really well. There's yeah. like three on my street. <laughs> oh, they've sold so many of them; it's insane. Um, I always said we wouldn't work with it. I, I said, no, we're going to stick to classic Defender. Um, the reality is at some point we'll do some cool stuff for new defender it would just we just have to do it. it wouldn't be commercial not to um we are a business after all but 
we're also a shed full of diehard defender fans. Yeah. So, you know, the transition takes a while. Um, but yeah, they've sold so many. It's been a great success for them. Has and that, it's a cool car. Yeah, it is. Has that almost revitalized the old, the classic, now I'm going to call it classic defender a, a little bit because of all this more attention? Or do you think that not had so much? <sighs> I think we saw. Um, the first three or four years after the end of production, we saw this huge uplift in demand uh, for Classic Defender, um, which naturally hiked the prices. Mm. That then made it quite easy for JLR to introduce a new Defender at a, uh, well, at, at that point, at less money. Yeah. You know, if a Classic one was 60 grand or 70 grand or 80 grand, the new one was 50 or 40 or 60, you know, it's, it looks like very good value, really. Um, I think probably when New One came out, Classic Defender leveled, possibly dipped a little bit. I think all this news about the Grenadier, the other product, mm. which is um, the, well, it was going to be a British made natural successor to the yeah. Classic Land Rover Defender. And it's ended up being made in France or somewhere. Um, uh, that in that that as well will um, take some demand away from Classic Defender, but the reality is there's a finite supply of Classic Defender. They're not building anymore. Yeah. Um. You you you, you pay a lot of money for a for a good one right now, and they're only going to go one way in value uh, as supply lessens. Yeah. Presumably um, good cars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all it, it runs through them all. Yeah. You know, stuff stuff that was five grand six years ago is fifteen and eighteen and twenty mm. grand now. You know, you would argue that the lower value ones have seen a bigger uplift percentage wise than the new delivery mileage yeah. stuff. But um, it's a it's an interesting space to see it moving around. Yeah, but we'll we'll never see anything like it again. It's physically not. It's not possible to build something like Defender anymore. No. Uh, it doesn't make sense. I remember going down the production line uh, about a week before the end of production, and um, they stopped the line because a vehicle had a fault. It turns out it was one they were building for me. And um, there's like six engineers looking under the bonnet trying to work out which pipe was the wrong way around or something. Um, but I actually met the two boys that fit the bulkheads, and their job was to fit bulkheads all day, every day. Yeah. Oof, 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 bulkheads. And... Um, these, they were a pair of absolute characters. I got them to sign the chassis as it went past them. Um, and uh, it was all about the people. Um, whereas the Land Rover, the Range Rover line, I think the optimum for the Range Rover line was a vehicle every 48 seconds or something. Mm. Um, you know, I think on that day they were a minute and 10 or something. But these vehicles are just off the line. Whereas the Land Rover line was about every hour and a half, something would pop out the other end. Yeah. It was a totally different process. Um, and there's a lot of love for that, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. And it, if I was working in a factory, I mean, I don't know, but if I was working in a factory, the, this shift from, you know, you're at your, your, your car, working on one car for, well, one, it would have been, you would have built the whole thing. And then it got, was like, okay, you're at your station for four hours. And then it's like hour and a half. And then it's like, no, 30 minutes. And then it's, 20 minutes and then someone else does the next little bit and then there's a robot like that must be i mean mentally like challenging the smaller that gap gets 
you wouldn't be able to work in that factory because you'd be trying to straighten everything yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not a JLR one. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> You're two degrees out. <laughs> I might be okay in a German factory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I don't think I could do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, so, right. In terms of the, the models you offer, you do the, the base car, which has a certain level of work, and then actually, as these now get older, presumably you're going to have to start doing more restoration as well. Yeah. Restoration is quite different to what we've done in the past. Mostly we would start with a new vehicle in the past, Yeah, take it apart, put it back together how we want it. Restoration is kind of body goes to the left, chassis goes to the right, engine and running gear in the middle, and then it all comes back together again. Um, It takes up more space. It's different logistics. A lot more remedy work. Uh, and a lot more labour intensive. Yeah, we're still working with new vehicles. We've still got a stock of new, undriven vehicles to work from, and we'll continue to work through those. It's a nice uh, asset to be sitting on, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was quite a juggle when we decided to buy them. Yeah. Um, quite quite comical, really. Land Rover. One of the guys from Land Rover Corporate called me and said, "You know, Charles, you've you've had a few cars this year. Do you want to put an order in before the end of production?" I said, probably do. I don't know what I want. Da, da, da. And then the dealer called me, Rip and Land Rover at the time. Um, Howard, what a character. Um, Charles, yes, yes, my friend, you know, do you want to order some cars? I said, I probably do, yeah, yeah, I don't know what. And it kind of rumbled on for a few weeks. And then I got a call from this dude at Land Rover. And he said, Charles, he said, there's a policy meeting um, and we're going to stop supplying modifiers. And if you don't get your order in, you're not going to get any cars. I'm like, Ooh, right. Um, <laughs> okay. So I think I was in the car coming up the M40. I think I was with my father. And um, I literally scribbled, and I've got it somewhere, a tiny little piece of paper in a tiny little pad. And I scribbled sort of, right, January 10, February 15, March, da 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 And I got to 240 vehicles. And at the time, we were building about 60 a year for customers. Mm. So I thought, well, that's four years. By the four years, by the time we've got rid of them all, the new Defender will be out, and we'll do something with that. So I penned an email on this blackberry i had um to this dude at land rover and said uh, can i order and i ordered 6090 hard top 6090 station wagon 6110 utes and 6110 station wagon um i said i don't know what colors i want yet but i want them all to be excess and um um this is the quantity and can i have them monthly over the 12 months from january to december of 15 when you stop production and he replied, he said, Charles, thank you for a brilliant order. And uh, that was that. And they all went quiet for about three months. And then I was invited uh, to a meeting at the dealers. And the call was, uh, rather than, now than Charlie, it was, uh, hello, Mr. Fawcett. Uh, can you come for a meeting? Said, yeah, of course. Yeah, no problem at all. Why are you calling me Mr. Fawcett was my first thought. But anyway. He wants money. Off we went. <laughs> well, <laughs> off we went to this meeting and... Uh, I'm sat there and it's a room full of faces I didn't recognise. Howard was in the corner, who I'd always bought my Land Rovers off. Uh, and this other dude from Land Rover, I recognised him, but there's a load of suits I didn't know. And this guy came from nowhere and said, right, uh, Mr. Fawcett, yes, I'm a cup of tea, you know, pour this silver teapot. Um, cup of tea. And, uh, right, so this, um, these vehicles that you were talking about having, I'm thinking this is not going where I thought it was going to go. Um, it just seems that we haven't quite got the uh, capacity to build enough vehicles. And so um, you're just going to have to go and buy them wherever you possibly can. 
No. What, okay. what do you mean? What do you mean by that? I've been waiting three months for yeah. you to you to confirm, and we're three months further in, and demand's increasing, and they're getting harder to find. What do you mean you're not building enough? Well, we just you know, and they kind of waffled on, and then he used this term. What was it? Um, frustrated contract was what he said. <laughs> I'm thinking that sounds like a legal term, and I, you know, I'm just yeah. a simple lander of a bod. I'm thinking that sounds legal to me. Hmm. Better stop this meeting here. So off I went, and. Um, uh, I got a bit of advice, and the advice was you've sent them an order. They've replied to your order. They've said, thank you for your order. That's a contract. Yeah. So I went back to them, and I said, you know, we need these cars. We're relying on you supplying them. It's the backbone of our business. Um, anyway, they tried to stop us having them because clearly demand had increased. They didn't mm. want to sell, sell them to us. And that was kind of the start of the fallouts with, with, with the manufacturer, which have gone on and they're still going on now. But eventually they backed down and they said, yeah, okay, you can have your cars. So I then had to scurry off and try and find some money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the next thing was to try and find out where the hell to store 240 Land Rovers. Um, That's quite a lot of space. It was a lot of space, yeah. We ended up with about 40,000 extra square foot to put these things in. We got an old ammunition store, um, concrete bunker. Uh, and an old horse arena uh, locally because I didn't want them to be far away. I wanted yeah. them to be local. And the second to last month of of, uh, of us collecting vehicles, we picked up 40 this particular day and they'd all landed at the dealership and it was actually five months after the end of production at this point because they argued with us for six months. Yeah. They had to shift our order along six months. So they were still storing them and delivering, to them, delivering them to us uh, Six months after the end of production. Right, yeah. Um, so they, we ended up with a load of 16 plates um, registered months and months and months after production ended, which is quite cool in itself, actually. Um, but the uh, I pulled up at the dealership. We'd given them a million quid or whatever for these 40 vehicles. And uh, they'd obviously checked the bank account. The money dropped in. And they met me at the door with a cardboard box full of keys. <laughs> there you are. And then another two cardboard boxes with handbooks in. There oh, you nice. are. They're in the back, you know, and they're literally just, we had to help ourselves. Some had fuel in, some didn't. <laughs> some had been PDI'd, some hadn't. They, they, they were really unhappy that we'd, we, we'd got this order. And um, we, uh, we kind of sat on as many as we could, but clearly as a business we had to churn through yeah. them. We had, you know, we had obligations to funding and so on. And uh, I think we're left now with 50, 55 or 56 untouched. And it's really cool to see them now, so far out of the end of production. Yeah. You know, they're all just sat there, polished up, looking lovely. And I'm just trying to work out what to do with them, really. Yeah. So, because uh, presumably they're worth, I mean, they're worth more than, I don't know, well, they're worth more than you paid for them. Definitely box fresh. Yeah. They, they, they don't really exist. You can't really buy vehicles like that now. Yeah. I've got a, there's 32 of them, which is, it's every color from the end of production in the four main models. So 90 hardtop, 90 station wagon, 110 utility, 110 station wagon, in the colours they produced mm. in 2016. Um, those, um, as soon as I got the order, I put lines through all of those and said, no, we're not selling those. I want to keep those. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something really special with them. I've just not decided what yet. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's cool to see. They're, yeah, that um, is cool. Yeah. You couldn't do it again. Um, you know, imagine if you'd bought I don't know, a batch of Renault 5 turbos before they stopped or, <laughs> yeah. you know, just something, I can't think of another example, but if somebody had a shed full of un, undriven classic minis right now, yeah. 
um, all lined up. That would be cool, wouldn't it? It would. It would be cool. Uh, all like yeah. all the different colors, all the specs. You sort of hear that yeah. about, you know, sort of collections in other countries where someone's bought one car in each launch color, and then it's just sat yeah. in the dust. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, to be fair, I should probably get a really big, dusty old barn and just let them gather some. <laughs> just open the door in 20 years. But uh, I like to see them. <laughs> but with the with this, you're going to have to do a bit more restoring of bodywork as clean, untouched cars. I know you've got a few yeah. in a garage that you can you can sell to people, but you're going to have to do more work. Is that is that actually going to make the cars... Presumably that will actually make the cars more expensive, annoyingly, because it will possibly be more work than the price of buying a nicer yeah. car. Yeah, I think um, labour is one of the dearest elements, in, in a sense. Mm. Um, so, y- yes, it, it makes it a dearer process. But the, there's one way to do the job, and that's to do it right, and... I, I, there are many times we'll write off a huge amount of labour in a build just because we want to know it's gone out right, mm. and um, it, you know it's it, it's as much as about our pride in what we're doing as it is about making a book. Yeah. Um, it, it, the easy way to make money is to not have the pride, churn them out, um, you know, make quick, easy money. But we're just not into that. You know, a cow will stay here so much extra time because we as people aren't happy that it leaves in that format. Mm. So yeah, there's a little bit with, you know, we always inspect before we start a vehicle and we'll say to the customer, look, we found these six other things that need doing, or there's a bit more corrosion here than we were expecting. Or there's one yesterday, actually I've just come back from a few days off and um, I spoke again with Johnny (laughs) and um, we were looking at the chassis. He's got this car stripped down and it's in for a big job. And he said, Charles, I, I just don't want to coat this chassis. I want to take the last few bits off it. Um, it's an extra four days labor. But if we do that, we can then blast the chassis. We can then coat it properly and then put it back together properly. And it's just, it's going to be a call to the customer. Just say, look, we really want to do this extra bit. And it might end up being, we don't charge for it, but it just makes sure it leaves us right. Um, you know, if something's particularly, if it's going abroad, you, you just want, you don't want it coming back to you. Yeah. Um, so no. it's just a matter of having the appetite and the energy to do the job right and then work out the finances afterwards. Yeah. I've heard this sort of theory on um, buying a sort of box fresh, let's say classic. So, you, you know, something that's been in a barn, it's done zero miles and it's, and it's, you know, it's untouched and that they possibly drive slightly differently to a fully restored car from the same time that's done 50,000 miles or whatever. Have you noticed anything in Defender? Let's say you've done one that was like older, a bit more beaten up versus you've taken a box fresh one and done it. Do they, could you tell the difference? Of course you could. Of course you could. We, we, when building a vehicle make so many changes that it could never be compared to a box fresh. You know, the, the bushings are different, the brakes are different, the suspension's different, everything's changed. So it's, it's a, it has a different style. Mm. But if you were to take a 50,000 mile one that's been used every day and the one that's not been driven, <clears throat> the 50,000 miler will probably feel better 
albeit probably a bit more clunky than the brand new one. But that goes right the way back. I remember we would buy them new and drive them, and at 10,000 miles, it was literally like somebody just released everything. <laughs> they felt great, and that was a standard Defender. Yeah. Um, you know, if if at, if, if, if at 8,000 miles it would do 92 when it did 10,000 miles, it would do 100 miles an hour. It made <laughs> it made such a difference, and they just felt fluid and free, and they were better on fuel. And The nature of the vehicle, it's hand-built. Every bit of that vehicle is reliant upon the person on the line doing things exactly to tolerances. They never, ever did. Yeah. They were, you know, if they got out the wrong side of bed, they would <laughs> either over-tighten or under-tighten. It was as simple as that. They're just people. And um, you would get in one Defender and get in another, and they were entirely different, even as brand new. Um, those two Camel Trophy 110s we had, um, probably shouldn't say this, but I remember I used to, going down the A1 when it was two lanes towards Weatherby, there was like a bit of a hill, and one of these things would drop down to like 55 miles an hour, and we were always late. So you would push it with the other one get it up to 75 and then drop back. And it was because one went better than the other and they just always did. And then, but, but the one that was slower handled better, you know, you could chuck it into a corner and it would stick. Whereas the other one on the old Michelin XCLs, it, it, it would wander and feel awful. They are entirely different every time. So box fresh and, and used while comparable, I think it's just normal that something with such basic, engineering and basic mechanics it frees up in time mm. and it and and it, it it's like an old slipper really you get used to them i've got one i've got an 07 and it's the first defender i managed to pay for and i could say it's mine mm. took me two years i put it on finance with lombard or whoever a few hundred quid a month got a balloon at the end paid it off yes it's mine you know a bit of a, a, an achievement yeah and i said as a result i said i'd never sell it um it's probably only done 40,000 miles now, um, but it's done 26 laps of the Nürburgring. It's been to Santa Pod, <laughs> it's been to Brands Hatch, it's been to Lydon Hill. It's been on all these tracks. It's been on two wheels. It's done all sorts of stuff. It's had a hell of a life. Um, it's now Pride of Joy. It sits in my garage. I use it on a weekend. Uh, it is literally like an old slipper, and it feels wonderful. It's never had an engine. It's probably had a clutch. It's probably had a transfer box. Diffs have probably been swapped. It's not quite triggers broom, but it kind of mm. they start to feel that way if you're not careful. Um, but it's just wonderful. But it has quirks. It has little rattles. It has little squeaks. I don't want it to be perfect. I want it to be what it is. Yeah, very a very pure driving experience. That's quite. <laughs> that's quite fun. So at the moment you do three slash four um engine options yeah um run me through the lt v8 yeah lt v8's the the new general motors um v8 crate engine with an eight speed gm box um in packaged format when they leave us 460 odd horsepower our test vehicles 517 horsepower it's got too much power for a defender soft top um, I drove this the other day. Uh, yeah, uh, out of out of town, it is bonkers. Yeah, it's got too much power. It's lethal, um, but thoroughly good fun to use on a twisty back road. Um, but uh, yeah, 
customer version, about 460 horsepower, torquey as hell, quick as you like, not that bad on fuel. Um, a defender is a, you know, it's two boxes with some wheels. They're not good on fuel at the best of times. You know, drive a 2.2 diesel with a trailer behind it'll, it'll be down to 16 to the gallon if you're lucky. So 18 or 20 to the gallon out of a V8 is quite respectable. That engine is amazing. Uh, the eight speed box is amazing. It suits really well. Huge amount of development gone into making it work. Getting the position right, getting the props in the right angle. Um, and making it feel like it was meant to be there is quite a yeah. challenge. Um, that's kind of, is it flagship engine? It's kind of, it's the big one. Um, EV, we call it the TVE actually, vehicle electric. Um, but EV electric vehicle, um, developed in Holland for us. Uh, I didn't want to like it. I actually love it. Uh, brilliant around town, brilliant on the open roads, pulls like a steam train, quiet as you like, get to 50 miles an hour, you don't know you're in an electric vehicle. You could be in a diesel, petrol, whatever. Um, because the road noise, the wind noise, everything else yeah. takes over, you, you, you've got no sensation from beneath. Um, 120-ish miles range on a full charge, three hours to charge or just less than. Um, it looks OE, it drives OE. I think the one you tested, the lock stops hadn't been adjusted, so the, it didn't. It, yeah, it was about yeah, a yeah. third of a turn less than normal when we finished with them. Um, right. But um, I, I love it. I think it's a really cool product. A bit the one that the TVS is the latest engine, the one I'm probably most excited about right now, because it feels like a natural progression for Defender. It's 307 horsepower, standard six-speed. Uh, manual box um really talky really really drivable loads of power when you want it to have you can wring its neck or you can poodle about it's a quiet four-cylinder turbocharged petrol um so those are the three engine upgrades but naturally there are still people that want the original 2.2 diesel we modify it and run it up to about 174 horsepower um, oodles of torque that works really well um, six speed manual or four speed auto um, so there's still a bit of that going on as well but yeah. people people are sort of migrating away from diesel slowly um, and I think while the EV is phenomenal it has its limitations I think if it's if it's a toy if it's a a, a leisure vehicle or a town vehicle or it's worked locally EV will work yeah V8 is because you just want the wildest you can have. (laughs) But I think actually that TVS, that's probably the thinking man defender. You know, the guy who wants to be a little bit conscious of not driving a diesel, he still wants to work it. He wants to get in it and feel like a defender. It's still got a a gear change and all the sort of standard defenderisms. Um, But more power, that's a a great option, I think. Yeah, it was... um... It's funny, you, you, earlier you were saying how a Defender's always like, a, it just seems to be a talking point. And um, so I, I drove the three different versions when I came to see you the other day. And when I took out the, um, was it TVS, the, the four-cylinder turbocharged engine, we went around the corner, 
turned, pulled up at some lights. I think I sort of gave it some beans for a little bit. And then the car next to me like wound around <laughs> the window and was story. like, oh, really? like, that sounds so good. Like, and he wanted a bit of chat about turbo cars and stuff, um, <laughs> which was really funny because it, 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 it makes a sound that you don't expect out of a Defender. Equally, so does the V8, which sounds yeah. pretty ridiculous. But one of the things I think I noticed straight away, because I was just mooching around town, was it's actually really quite refined and not loud. It just makes the burbly noises until you step on it. Which oh, yeah. a lot of, I feel like the old yeah. V8 that you used, or the v, previous V8 you used to use yeah. was quite just like, you know, all of the time. The previous was the LS. We did the LS first of all in 2012. Yeah, late 2012 we started on it, finished it early 13 and actually took it on Gumball. Mm. Uh, in fact, that's probably where we first met, was it? Yeah, I think so. Probably bored at the Russian border or something, waiting to get through. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was the first one we did with the LS engine in. That was the 480 horsepower version. Um, the stock crate motors 430. They did a, a fairly heavily cammed 480 version. Um, and we foolishly used a Tremec uh, five-speed manual. Um, first was kind of over there second was somewhere back there and <laughs> it would do that car it was a 110 station wagon it would do 48 miles an hour in first gear it would do 74 in second 110 in third and about 130 in fourth fifth was pointless really <laughs> but um uh the worst gearbox and clutch combination for driving around um uh st petersburg and um warsaw and all those other yeah. places where you need to be on and off the clutch all the time um but yeah, I did 4,800 miles in that in 10 days, rang its neck. It was brilliant. And then we put them into production, and I think we did 96 or 97 of them in the next nine years, hmm. uh, up until us starting with the LT. Um, the LS was a brilliant engine. Uh, we never had one fail. Um, we never broke a drive line. Um, it worked. But... It was noisy. It was quite rude. It was quite ostentatious at times. You couldn't be discreet in it. Yeah. So our learning from that was this new LT. It had to be subtle. It had to be really gentle on the throttler. The LS was pin sharp on the throttle. The moment you touched it, poof, wants to be away. Mm. LT, we spent a huge amount of time mapping. Um, and honestly, LS, the first one we did, we developed everything ourselves, learned a lot tripped ourselves up a few times. Then we did another one with a slightly different gearbox in it. And by then, there was a few other firms had done bits as well. And we kind of brought a few bits of a few other people's stuff together with our own and ended up with a conversion. But the reality is, we didn't develop that entirely. We couldn't afford to. We didn't have the mm. time to. Um, and there were more economical paths we could take. LT, from start to finish, we've controlled the development. So you know, the, 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 the billet components to fix the thing together, the mounts, the bushings, um, the mapping, the cooling pack, every bit of it um, is twisted. In essence, we've got more time to do it and more money to do it this time. So, you know, we could own every bit of it. Yeah. And therefore mapping to make it quiet in traffic, exhaust so that it, it, it it's not, it's not in your face and noisy. Um we, we could do a lot more with it and spend a lot more time on it. And I think what we've got is a product that is super fun. 
wild if you want it to be, but relatively subtle uh, if you just want to potter about, which I think is a great bit of middle ground. Yeah. A bit more induction noise now. It was all about exhaust before. We're more about induction now. So the driver gets more involved, but the people around him don't necessarily notice it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it felt like it felt like a very refined but mad product. Like, yeah. I think when I got out of it, I, I was chatting in, in you, like, this is you in podcast mode. I was saying, if the sort of refinement level in terms of the driving of you could very slowly reverse it around a corner up a hill and it would, yeah. wouldn't make loads of noise, wouldn't be going <clears throat> any of that stuff. And it just did it. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah this, 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 this will tick the box of being able to just drive it and not cause those problems. In terms of how has the uptake been, when did you launch that model? That was recently. Was that recently? Yeah, yeah literally in the last few weeks. We've built six customer vehicles quietly in the background. Okay. Um, the first couple were people that understood that it's this is going to be an evolution. It doesn't yeah. just work from day one. Um, we've done a lot of running around uh, to, to keep on top of that. We've learned a lot with every vehicle we've built. If we're just building a stock standard vehicle for somebody, we always do 500 test miles anyway. Okay. But with these, with these V8s, we're doing a huge amount more. Um, and our team over in the US, so we've got, licensees in the US and um, 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 the Middle East now um, building twisted vehicles and okay. they've done a huge, huge amount of development over there um, but what we soon learnt with the work they're doing over there is the end product f- finishes up different right? Um, and the environment in which it's used is different and we have different wants and needs to, to, to their customers so while there's a kind of a core development gone on We've kind of done this along the way. Right, we'll probably yeah. end up coming back to there eventually. But um, there's been a lot of learning um, and some really interesting uh, testing done. But the reality is we're, we're still a small firm and uh, we have to um, – everything's got to be – it's got to make commercial sense. Yeah. So there's a little bit of learning as we go, but a lot less this time than there was last time. Mm. We are, are at least in control of the product this time. What's that? What have been some of the things that have been sort of picked up that are different from, let's say, states and yeah, Middle East? Because presumably Middle East they drive in a lot more sand than we do, which probably causes more problems. But like, how has that you know customer base and shift affected the the cars? I think as much as anything, it's about the customer's expectation of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, the Americans have never really had Defender. Yeah. So they perceive it to be a very different vehicle and they don't have a lot of, they've got no history to work on. They don't know what to expect from it. Yeah. So they might want paddle shift. Mm-hmm. They might want lightning fast gear changes. They might want loads of noise. But over here, this kind of a, there's a want to have it built exactly how the customer wants it and for them to be able to use it how they want to use it. But they also want to try and keep some of its heritage and history yeah. and, um, you know, keep it in, in a box. Um, and I think Middle East is, is different again. Um, the, the, the products are, they fundamentally finish up very differently. Um, mm. this, that core twisted sort of underpinning, but the end product is very different. The guys in the States really want something almost standout. 
where over here it's almost the opposite. It kind of wants to be a little bit yeah. under the radar. You want to hide it, debadge it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting more and more like that as well. Um, it, it's it's if something shouty it doesn't really work over here now. It's, it stands out too much. Yeah, you don't get let out of junctions as much. No, no, you don't. No. <laughs> All bit with all that power, you just dive out anyway. <laughs> yeah, go, go over the verge, side of the road, use the off-road. You know, I did that the other day. I was out with with Nick. Um, I mentioned Nick earlier. He's the guy that came from the Winder firm. Um, and we went testing. We went off up the A19, up the dual carriageway. And as I'm coming back, I'm watching the fuel gauge. I'm thinking, this. we're getting really close with this as to whether we're going to get back. Mm. And about 10 miles before we got back to work, it starts chugging. And um, he kind of looked at me, he's like, what's that? I said, oh, Nick, I think we might run out of fuel shortly. He's like, oh, for God. And I start wagging the steering wheel. And this is something my father taught me years ago when, you know, trade vehicles, you deliver them with as little fuel as possible, (laughs) you know? So the last few miles, you'd be weaving down the road so it picks up that last little bit of fuel. Well, I swayed this bloody steering on this 110 for about eight miles. And it just kept going and kept going. And the chugs got a bit bigger and the chugs got a bit bigger. And I said to Nick, I said, should we come off at this junction or the next one? Nah, we'll push on to the next one. And we anyway, we got to this junction. And as we're coming down the slip road, I'm thinking, I just hope there's nothing queuing yeah. um, at the bottom of the slipway. Anyway, sure enough, there's five or six cars queuing. So I said, hold on, Nick. And we went up the grass, round the back of the, <laughs> round the back of all the traffic cones, round the back of this telegraph pole, and then literally rolled onto the fuel station forecourt. You literally couldn't do that in any other car. <laughs> one, one, you would upset everybody that was queuing. Yeah. But two, two, you'd have broken something. But because it's a defender, they're like, oh, it's just a defender. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. They'll be the local farmer. <laughs> I remember, actually, it must have been on Gumball. I remember getting to a petrol station and whoever was driving, it could have been you, just like rolled into the petrol station over, you know, curbs, everything, boom, 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 <laughs> straight up. And you're like, yeah, obviously, that's the defender. That's, that's what they're going to do. That's my, how they roll. Uh, my pal Matt, he drove. So we had four vehicles on that rally. Tony Hawk took one uh, that we'd built for him. Tony Hawk, uh, Mike Escamilia. Is he rooftop? I think he is. Um, BMX dude. Mm. And the guys from MTV Brazil, I don't know if you remember them, Lucas and anyway, the crazy guys. Brilliant fun. Um, and then my pal Matt and, and his best pal Ollie, they drove another 110 for us and i remember my matt telling me this story and in poland do you remember the if there was roadworks they wouldn't put traffic lights up or anything they'd just put some metal trunking through the grass and out the other side and you'd kind of go around really slowly and back up onto okay, the road yeah 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 <laughs> anyway he said he was fl- flying down this road in this diesel 110 as fast as it would go and then all of a sudden roads closed and there's this metal trunking and there was some form of supercar like pottering through it. Yeah. Because obviously he didn't want to damage anything. And he said, I passed this thing about 70 miles an hour on this metal <laughs> trunking, fully sideways, trying to keep hold of this Land Rover. Um, in fact, the same guy, we got black flagged at Brands Hatch for drifting. Um, we took this Land Rover of mine down there to a race car live event. And first lap out, I can't remember which the corner is, but you come down the hill, left-hand corner. He pitched it in Well, we were... F- full 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 opposite lock from about 80 yards before the corner right the way through it out the other side and immediately got black flagged and these marshals were like you're drifting you can't drift and matt was like 
I'm not drifting. I'm just trying to get around the corner. <laughs> and we've got this amazing set of photographs of Matt literally fully crossed up about 70 miles an hour in this Defender. Um, and again, <laughs> coming back to the whole Twisted story, Twisted seems to have brought people to it who are so passionate about what we do mm. and the Defender that they've carried us in many ways. You know, Matt was a customer. He, he, I met him at Bruntingthorpe. He heard our TD5 exhaust ground. system yeah. or what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, you know, he, he drifted past us in a hold and two minutes later he's in his old blue TD5. He heard our exhaust, bought one and then bought lots of bits. And he's become a really great friend. And anytime there's driving to be done, Matt comes and does it. Nobody ever asked for any money. You know, it just, it, it, it's just what we do. And, it's kind of what am I trying to say? It's the it's the defender conversation that leads on to other things, and we've met so many amazing people and built so many incredible vehicles, and it it all comes back to the same thing. It's it's defender. It's just it's just a cool lifestyle to be around. Yeah, and you know Matt as an example, he won't drive his every day. He probably doesn't drive it ten times a year but he will never ever sell it. It'll always be his, yeah. his baby, you know? Um, I remember getting a call years ago from a guy. He must've rung me seven times over the period of a week. And I was always just too busy to have a conversation with him. And, uh, eventually he got hold of me. I was driving somewhere. I chatted with him and just broad Yorkshire speak, told him what was good, what was bad, what he should, what he shouldn't do. And eventually toward the end of the call, he said, yeah, okay. He said, I want one for the road and I want one for off road. Um, and I want, want to do this, want to do that. Da, da, da. I said, yeah, fine. And then he mentioned something. I said, no, you don't want to bloody do that. No, 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 do it like this. Da, da, da. Anyway, he said, ping me a quote. If I like it, I'll buy him. So pinged him a quote that evening, and he replied um, that evening. I said, I'll have him. And at that time, it was a big order for two cars. It's 2010, I think. Um, and I replied, I said, great, thank you. I only knew it was Faris. Thank you. Just sends you contact details for sending you an invoice. It was the king of Malaysia. <laughs> and I'm, I'm literally just talking to him normally like any other bloke. Yeah. And I should, I probably should have been watching my P's and Q's. And all it. But do you know, he's had so many cars off us now and you know, he sends us text messages and pictures of what he's been up to. And I, 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 what I'm trying to say, I think is defender is just a leveler. And mm. if, if, if the two parties are passionate about that product, it's great. Yeah. You know, we, 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 uh, we have a lot of fun doing what we do. Yeah, that's fun. I think that is a, a great point to start meandering slowly into the end <laughs> of the podcast, which is the five, five questions. Oh, God. Do you have, we may have come across it already, but do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Um... That's the odd one I shouldn't talk about. Um, <laughs> I, do you know what? I, I always come back to Gumball. What an experience. Yeah. I got a phone call from a guy, and he's selling me the virtues of Gumball 3000 and how we should get involved as a you know, Yorkshire manufacturer or whatever. And it turns out this guy, he's London, he was in London. He was Maximilian's kind of right-hand man. And it turns out this guy's dad was my dentist. <laughs> So we couldn't not do something. We ended yeah. up sponsoring it. We had our name on every car. And, you know, we're this little dot of a business in Yorkshire. And we've only ever seen Gumball on TV. And it's, like, aspirational. 
and to be able to take part in it. And all right, everyone else flew the cars or transported the cars. Yeah. We literally drove from Thirst to Copenhagen. Um, and when we got there, we had to clean all the flies off and start all over again, you know. But that as a, a as an overall drive, I'll never forget it. Um, yeah. I think I was hung over for two months. It was just phenomenal. That, phenomenal. Just buzzing off the back of that. That one, was that the one that went St. Petersburg and then back in? Yeah, Copenhagen. Um, Copenhagen, Stockholm. Yeah. Somewhere uh, in Finland. Yeah, I can't remember. Was it Turku? Turku, St. Petersburg, Tallinn, Riga, Warsaw, Vienna, uh, Monaco. Yeah, that was, was just, that was nuts. That one, like, yeah, of of being on quite a few, and yeah. the the Russian leg and the Eastern European legs were mental. <laughs> do you remember? Dri- <laughs> do you remember driving? We we obviously sat at the border for hours. In fact, I sold a Defender while I was sat at the border. Nice, um, nice. To, to a mate of mine that was on the rally, Ollie. Um, he's still got it now. Um, but we were sat there for like four hours and there's all this chit-chat and rumours and, you know, don't do this, don't do that, be careful what you say, don't look at them wrong. And blah, blah. and then we assembled at the opposite side of the border and we went off in groups of 20 cars, I think. Yeah. Police car at the front, police car at the back. Well, as we're running along, um, police car at the front with his lights and siren going one at the back i was at the back so he's right behind me um i remember a car came down a slip road and tried to join our group yeah and this police car came from the back was it a ladder or a skoda or something <laughs> came from the back and basically pushed this guy off the road and then went back to the back of the queue again we're like this is mental and they had every junction all the way in st petersburg was closed off there was police or you know a motorbike or a policeman or a a, a car or something closing off every junction that i saw and as we got nearer, the policeman was waving us on to go faster. We were doing, I don't know, 70 miles an hour yeah. through St. Petersburg or something and just encouraging us to it was hoon around. And there seemed to be, I think there was like three or four convoys. And one of them, everyone, quite a few people got, came out of that convoy and was like, that was one of the most crazy, that's the craziest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And then there was one convoy, which was just like, I don't know, they seemed to follow all the rules. But ours, <laughs> we, were, we were doing like 100 on the wrong side of the road yeah. behind a police car who was just yeah. like pushing the oncoming traffic, yeah. just like get out, out of the way, the way we're coming through. Yeah. And then as you said, when you get into St. Petersburg, they literally just blocked all the junctions and we're like, Every yeah, junction. just go full chat, what, full chat. Yeah, what an <laughs> operation. And, and there was a guy in front of us, I don't know what he was in, but he's drifting onto this bridge in St. Petersburg. <laughs> and he, the policemen were just, they were just reveling in it. It was amazing. But then the next morning, having had all these warnings about don't stop, don't mm. let anybody, don't do this, don't do that. Next morning, we get up, having had a late night in the hotel, and we just left to it. <laughs> We're like, where's the conv- Where's the yeah, policeman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do we get out of this place? But that was, what a trip. And there was, you know, you'll remember, so many little stories of so many cool things that happened. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. We were driving alongside... Um, um, What's he called off Baywatch? Um, oh, um, the Hoff. Yeah, his name is. driving alongside the Hoff. You know, you're like, how are we <laughs> driving next to this dude? You know, we, we put the Night Rider music on as we went past. <laughs> it was just fun. You know? Yeah, so that was, was it. I'd say definitely memorable. Definitely memorable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next question: If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, that's a really hard one. 
there, there is a slight side point to this one. You're, you you're on. one car for the rest of your life, and you're allowed something that costs like five hundred pounds <laughs> on the side. So you can have something that's like slightly practical and really cheap, and then you've got one car. Do you know what? I think it would have to be Defender. That's an ob- <laughs> I know that's an obvious answer, but it literally does everything you need it to do. If you surf, ski, row, cycle, climb mountains, walk dogs, have animals, tow trailers, it just does it all. And it's not the fastest, it's not the quietest, it's not the smoothest, it's not necessarily the coolest, but it just ticks every single box to a point. Everything else is limiting somehow. Yeah, I get you. My, my, my foot, I was, I was, I was GT3 and I was Defender <laughs> and I just, the GT3, I did that and it didn't tow trailers or yeah. it was a bit rude at times or it insulted the odd person or my Defender just, it just fits. Fair it enough. It really does. Clearly it'd have to be a twisted one as well. Obviously it's it normal a twisted one. one. What engine? What engine? Uh, TVS. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. middle, the right yeah. bit in the middle, just works. Uh, most undervalued car at the moment. Hmm. That is really difficult. Come back to that one. Give me <laughs> okay. a moment. Ponder, ponder. <laughs> ponder. Uh, most interesting car. What are you looking up? What are you googling? Uh, I spend a lot of time looking at. Probably for most people, probably they're quite common cars. But I look at GT3, mm. Touring, F12, 355, tick, tick, tick. even 430s, just, just things that have soul. Yeah. They've got to be manual or V12. They've got to be... There are some really interesting cheap cars as well. You know, things that you're really engaged in driving, but... I've got a real, I've got a real soft spot for an F12 at the minute. Never had yeah. one, never driven one. It just, it just looks like something you would just want to keep forever. But Pip, yeah. my other half, she is GT3 with a wing all day, every day. Um, I'd be GT3 without a wing. Yeah. But um, it doesn't get much better, really, does it? All, all great options. I'm GT3 probably without a wing. Um, mm. F12, I totally see. Uh, about a year ago now, maybe, um, I was going to buy an F12. I've, I've always just thought it was one of those like iconic designs and it seemed it's got a point in the, its life where it was reasonable value. Um, ended up buying an 812. Slightly it? different. But, um, and ha- ran that for three months and then found out I was having a kid, so um, <laughs> needed something with four seats. But... That was a really interesting couple of months. Um, mm. Really, really good car, but it didn't quite connect with me on the like the level that like a GT3 does in terms of it's a bit numb. But as a GT experience, amazing noise, loads of luggage space, waft around, but it's not something to drive really fast for me anyway. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I, I, I've I've had a, a few ferrari and driven a few and i've never connected fully Mm. i think there is this charm to them and they probably have ferrariisms that drive a lot of people mad you know just little things yeah (laughs) 
But if you if you're that way inclined, you don't care about all that stuff yeah. because of what you're driving. I think the F12 is probably this appropriate middle ground that would probably suit my age, mm. the age I'm at now. You know, where you see it as the car you go to Provence in, or yeah. you know, the the long journey or the nice dinner on an evening. But you're absolutely right. The GT3, you absolutely connect with. You feel everything. Um, one of my biggest regrets is selling the one I had. I, I uh, my pal Ollie spec'd it. And his biggest regret is selling it to me. And my <laughs> biggest regret is then selling which, it again. Which generation did you have? It was a, the four litre um, 991 Spot 2. Oh, nice. Uh, nice. With, a, with a wing and a manual gearbox. And Ollie is very, very... If ever you want to spec a car, you ring Ollie. You don't, you don't look <laughs> at the, the sheet yourself. Just ask him to do it. And he'll already know what you want before, before you ask him. But he spec'd this thing beautifully. It had all the right bits on it. And um, what we agreed afterwards, having both sold it, is we should have just borrowed it off each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just you know, it back. I, I, I just pinged it back and forth. Um, he actually went on and bought a touring after that. Yeah. Um, and again, he probably regrets selling that. But that's probably one car, other than Pip and I arguing whether it should or shouldn't have a wing. Yeah. That's probably one car that if I could get back, I would. Hmm. Um, brilliant, brilliant piece of engineering. Yeah. Amazing. And, an, and a nice, like, blend of the, yeah. uh, like, this sort of old, because I mean, they're not that old at that point, but, like, old and really new. You still manual, but it's quite actually kind of quite refined, but still has the nuts yeah. engine that's, like, when you put your foot down, it's really loud inside. Oh, the noise that thing made just yeah phenomenal so what good. a car right and uh, defender oh. and 911 sorry yeah defender 911 and discovery or range rover is probably the garage okay well the next and question actually, is five five car garage okay well, it's f12 G- gt3 short wheelbase defender long wheelbase defender and a range rover sorted sorted probably an rs6 if i'm allowed six <laughs> well no you're not but, uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, and yeah. the was there one you skipped? Was it most yeah, undervalued? The most that? undervalued. I find that one really hard. It is hard to be honest. Right now, I think that really is hard because I don't look at anything in the marketplace and go, "That seems cheap or priced under what I feel like it should be." Um, everything's gone a bit mad. It has, and how long will it last? <sighs> Unknown. I think, I think possibly not necessarily undervalued because they're not undervalued. Um, new, if you can get new, certain new cars, we're in a certain point in time when buying a new car makes some sense. Whereas previously, I would say buying a new car never really makes any sense unless it's something super limited and special. Um, but for me, I think once the once once um, supply catches up. Yeah, that bubble's going to burst in a big way. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. If you buy a, a new Defender now, or a new 911, or even a new Golf, it is worth more once you've picked it up. Or you lose because less. nobody else can buy. <laughs> well, nobody else can buy them. You know, if yeah. if you had that golden ticket that enabled you to go and get the yeah. new 911, whatever, or the new Golf, whatever, it probably is worth more. Yeah. Because because you can't buy them, but. Once think, supply's sorted out, 
that can only go the other way. Yeah. I and think, I think that's where the classics come back. Yeah, we probably have. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, um, and that's it will where take classics time. come back, don't they? Yeah. It will take time for the market, to for those cars to really come out and us to get back to a level where, you know, you could order it and it would turn up two months later. If, you, if you're sitting on a car that you don't need slash not don't want that much, now is a bloody brilliant time to sell it, as long as you don't need to buy something else. Because it's got these crazy prices. Um, and then, who knows? Two years' time, everything could have reset, and you can go, yeah, I'll get it for 20% less. Thanks very much. But we, who knows? It might not happen. But it could be the other way as well. It could be the other way around, exactly. <laughs> be like me and Ollie with the GT3. Yeah. Should never have done that. <laughs> you make the best decision you can at the time, don't you? Life's for living. You just make decisions and get on with it, don't you? Yeah. If we all um, if we all pondered the decisions too hard, nobody'd get anywhere. No. You've got to live. Um, there's a quote on the wall down here: "Be daring, be different, be impractical, be anything that will assert the integrity of pur- purpose and imagination." Um, against the plate, safers, creatures of commonplace, and saves the ordinary. Cecil Beaton and a, a customer of mine, John Lewis, gave me that quote, and he said, "Live by that," and he's absolutely right. Yeah. Just, just make things happen have yeah. some fun get on with it have some fun have some fun <laughs> that is well that is i think it's a great great point to tie up the end of the podcast thanks very much for coming on uh good to see you thank you very much for your time really enjoyed it hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.